Hi, I'm Chinny. And I'm Astrid, and welcome to It's a Continent, the podcast that widens access to African history. We're also the co-authors of a book by the same name. You can find out more information about us on itsacontinent.com. We're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country by appreciating the identity of each nation. Through each episode, we'll be exploring key historical moments which have shaped the continent. Hello and welcome to another episode of It's a Continent. It's a continent, it's here. We're in your ears or maybe your... Your smart speaker. <laughs> I was trying to say your Alexa and I was like, what is the word for that? What is that? I've called? listened to too many BBC things, you know, they can't say that. <laughs> Other um, brands are, are available. available. Um, but come on, it's Amazon, it's basically taken over the world, so... It has, sadly. Although I feel like I'm going to get Apple TV. People yeah, keep talking this about Netflix Ted Lasso. Thing is not is not the one. I've had to like lie and say I'm on holiday. Wait, wait, oh, to kind of like they've got this weird thing going on, and I'm like, I'm traveling. I'm still traveling. Wait, what do you mean? <laughs> you have to like we'll have one household now. No, is that thing? I it, thought it's, I thought it's people had protested enough no, to be. It's happening. No. So. And now I'm sharing, you know, I have it with, amongst my siblings. Mm. And we just have to say that we're on holiday all the time and just make sure that we go home at least once a month. <laughs> <laughs> we say that we have <laughs> Wow. People will definitely find a workaround. It might be time to sail the seven seas once more. <sighs> I didn't say but that. But to be podcast. fair, <laughs> but to be fair, I feel like sometimes the show's like at the moment nothing i really want to watch on netflix they but know. everyone's been talking about ted lasso because mm. it's finished and i'm like i've never heard of this and i'm like now i've got to get myself apple tv that's what i'm going to be doing after recording this yeah well, add me on the uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know you have to share it between people because yeah it's in the cozy lives disney disney plus all of, them. all of them can't afford it by yourself no, no definitely not there are things we're doing called a podcast before we get started with this episode, I wanted to share my African pride. So this week, it goes to the Ghanaian playwright, novelist and poet, Ama Atta Aidu. Sadly, she recently passed away at the age of 81, leaving behind a legacy of extraordinary literary accomplishments. Regarded as one of Africa's most revered authors and a prominent feminist, Aidu's expansive literary career has garnered her numerous awards and accolades including the 1992 Commonwealth Writers' Prize for Best African Book for her novel, Changes, A Love Story. This book tells the story of a woman who divorces her first husband and embarks on a journey that leads her to enter into a polygamous marriage. So Definitely want to read that. Yeah, we're sourcing that. A testament to Aidu's impact is the recognition her work has received beyond literature, so the following quote, I've been seeing the video of this quote everywhere on my socials, mm. um, where she says, since we met you people 500 years ago, look at us. We've given everything. You are still taking. In exchange for what? We have got nothing. Mm. Nothing. And you know it. But you think that this is over now. Over where? Is it over? This quote resonated so deeply that it found its way into Burner Boy's song, monsters you made now i was actually listening to that this morning throughout her abundant career she has inspired and influenced countless individuals with her words and perspective as a prominent voice in post-colonial africa she has shed light on the ongoing consequences of historical injustices 
Amaata Aidu will forever be remembered as an extraordinary writer, an advocate for women, and a voice for social justice. Her contributions have left a mark on African literature and will continue to inspire generations to come. So yeah, I just wanted to flag that because actually I think we don't really hear about or really kind of focus on actually like as much anyway, you know, African kind of novelists and stuff and the impact that they've had and um, reading her story is just incredible. She made the decision that this was the path which she wanted to take at the age of like 15 and yeah, managed to achieve it, which is fantastic. This week's episode is about the Comoros Islands. Um, They are located in the Indian Ocean, just off the coast of East Africa. Renowned as Africa's secret paradise, the island nation boasts breathtaking landscapes, beaches and vibrant coral reefs. The Comoran writer Siti Syed Yusuf beautifully described the islands as four small effervescent stones, the nearby large red island and the Mozambican coast. However, the Comoros story is not without its complexities. Let's start by getting to know the islands that make up the Comoros archipelago. Although the Comoran government recognises them by their Swahili titles, they're more frequently referred to by their French names. The largest island, Grand Comore in French, is known as Ngajiza locally. There's also Mwali, Nzuani and Mahore, which in French is known as Mayotte. While Comoros is an independent state, it faces a distinctive challenge concerning Mahore, the fourth island. Comoros claims Mahore, a claim recognised by the United Nations General Assembly. However, the island remains under the administration of France. This situation raises questions about sovereignty and governance. Before colonisation, the islands that make up Comoros lacked any natural alliances. Each territory was governed by a sultan with Nzwani being further divided among seven sultanates. The hostility among the islands was so intense that some historians have characterised it as the rival sultanate's archipelago. By the 18th century, however, the sultans recognised the need for strategic alliance to safeguard their individual sovereignties, especially in light of the growing European threat. Around 1886 to 87, European powers inserted themselves into the conversation and agreed that the archipelago would be placed under French rule. Of course. Mm -hmm. By the early 1900s, France brought the islands together under a civil administration. It was placed under the authority of the French colonial governor-general of Madagascar. And in 1912, the islands became a province of the colony of Madagascar, which, at the time, was also under France's control. Despite this forced unification, the legacy of historical divisions remains evident. Comorans living on the different islands maintained a stronger sense of attachment and loyalty to their respective islands. This enduring affinity to the individual island reflects the long-standing rivalries and distinct identities that preceded French colonisation. In line with the wave of independence movements that swept across the continent after World War II, France initiated the process of decolonisation by granting the Comoros the freedom to govern themselves in 1961. As part of this process, France relocated the capital city from Mohore to Ungazija, the largest island in the Comoros. In 1974, a crucial referendum was held to determine the future path of the Comoros. You would expect that the majority of the population would vote in favour of independence. However, as we have come to learn from past experiences, gosh, that was ages ago now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we're still living through it. That was so long ago. 
<laughs> there are children that were born there that are like walking and talking. What happened? What happened? <laughs> But we know, based on their experience, that referendums can be unpredictable and this certainly proved true in the case of the Comoros. So at the time, you had groups like the Mayotte Popular Movement, the NPM, who were actively campaigning for Mahore to remain under French control. But despite widespread expectations, the referendum results revealed a significant divide in the Comoros. Whilst three of the islands, Ngazija, Mwali and Zwani, overwhelmingly voted in favour of independence, with a staggering 96% support, Mahore defied this trend. And surprisingly, 64% of the electorate on the island voted against independence, presenting a stark contrast to the sentiments expressed by the other islands. So why did they think they were so special? 90, 64% like it's such a do you know what I mean like it wasn't even like a close call yeah so to understand the reasons behind the desire of those living in Mahore to remain under French rule we must go back to pre-colonial times the lingering effects of the historical sultan rivalries played a role as some islanders did not feel a strong connection to a unified Comoros the impact of colonialism also influenced our identity perception. Those in Mahore saw themselves as more French than Comoran and identified their cultural identity as closer to other French slash Creole influenced islands like Réunion and Seychelles. Also, in comparison to the other islands, Mahore has a higher proportion of residents with family ties to France and the presence of French influence was more prominent in local businesses especially considering that the capital city was previously located there. Additionally, due to its smaller population size, Mohore enjoyed a relatively higher standard of living. There was also concern that severing ties with France and officially joining the economically less prosperous Ngazija, Mwali and Nzwali Islands would result in declining living standards of the population. While the people of Mohore were pleased with the outcome of the referendum, the leaders of the Comoros held a different perspective. They expressed their criticism openly, believing that groups like the NPM had fabricated the notion of the distinctiveness of Mahori to safeguard the interests of the elite Creole community on the island. That's it. It's the hierarchy piece, really, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Which would have the French influence would have played a role in that as well, um, leading to this really bizarre situation. Yeah, because at the time you've got so many other African nations sort of being like, right, let's get out. Let's get <laughs> yeah. like we want our independence. This is what it looks like, but. They were like, actually, maybe, maybe not. But I guess it goes back to that whole point, right? They never saw themselves as unified as one nation, regardless with the other three islands. So it's a situation you never considered yourself in, but then you've got a separate... I don't know. Yeah, it's a bit of a, a confusing one. On July the 6th, 1975, Comoros forerunner for independence, Ahmed Abdullah, made an attempt to declare all four islands free from French rule. However, France rejected this declaration, but they recognised the independence of the three other islands. A subsequent referendum was held the following year in 1976, giving the electorate another opportunity to decide their political status. Once again, the majority of those living in Mahore chose to remain under French authority, with an overwhelming 99% of voters supporting this decision. This outcome can be attributed to several factors. As we mentioned earlier, those living in Mahore perceived that being part of France provided them with better economic opportunities compared to the other islands. Also, the French administration actively promoted this viewpoint through consistent and possibly exaggerated campaigns. These campaigns aimed to portray the other islands as suffering from poverty and poor leadership since gaining independence. 
further influencing the sentiment in favour of maintaining ties with France. There we go again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> France, however, neglected to inform the people of Mahore about a crucial event that unfolded after Ahmed Abdullah's declaration of independence for all the islands in 1975. In response to this declaration, France retaliated by withdrawing financial assistance, which held significant implications for the Comoros as a whole. Prior to this, French aid accounted for a substantial 41% of the national budget of the Comoros. The sudden termination of the aid profoundly impacted the nation's stability, living standard and overall development. The withdrawal of financial support from France placed considerable burden on the Comoros, exacerbating the challenges they faced in maintaining stability and pursuing socio-economic progress. This isn't uncommon for France, though. It's part of their sort of coloniser handbook. We saw what happened in Guinea when Guinea Mm -hmm. voted that they didn't want to be part of the equivalent of the French Commonwealth. And France just was like, okay, and they just destroyed infrastructure and then ran away. So this sort of behaviour is not is not uncommon for this kind of coloniser. Yeah, they kind of, like, know how to navigate this sort of territory. And it's interesting that, like, you know, they set it up this way, so then as soon as, mm-hmm. I guess, the increase in the votes that we see is also fueled by that, because a year later, even more islanders are like, okay, no, we are staying here. Then you're scared. Because exactly. you're seeing the example. The yeah, yeah, and you also, I'm sure a lot of people kind of thought, France is doing this. And then you're kind of like, okay, why would I switch, right? You're then a bit scared. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So why was France determined to keep Mahore? The answer lies in military considerations. Oh, of course. <laughs> France had a strategic interest in maintaining a presence in the Mozambique Channel, and they initially planned to construct a harbour in Mahore for their navy. Although this plan did not materialise, the French did establish a satellite listening station in the region which became operational around the turn of the millennium. The vote for Mohori to become a collective territory of France proved to be a significant source of subsequent troubles and instability within the island group. The complexities of administering a divided territory contributed to the challenges faced by Comoros and set the stage for future conflicts and tensions. One thing that I did want to highlight is that post-independence, mm. Um, the islands of kind of Mali and Nzwani asked France to recolonize them in 1997, and France said no. They sort of like refused. It's sad that they got to that point where they felt that becoming a colony again would have been better for them, mm. which is essentially what France was trying to make an example out of them anyway. Yeah, to make them feel like this, and then the fact that they were like, Do you know what, better to be in than out, but like, you know what I mean, like, um, but yeah. In 2009, a significant development occurred when another referendum was held in Mahore. Oh gosh, aren't these people <laughs> sick of referendums? Like, I the was re- tired of just one. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> this is on our third one. Yeah. The result of this referendum saw Mahore's status change from a collective territory to an overseas department of France. France were just switching up all these titles, but basically they mean the same thing. Do you yeah, know just what I mean? like, oh, still, overseas territory. Yeah, you're like, still controlled by France. You're still administered by France. Have you got a French flag in the Yeah. <laughs> somewhere in the... This decision was rejected not only by the other islands, but also by the African Union and United Nations. The move to elevate Mahori's status further deepened the rift between the island and the rest of the Comoros. But yeah, and also the fact that they're kind of like, France is like, we're just doing our own thing. AU, you do 
no no they're, they're diff- UN. definitely just causing no, like yeah. strife to they're the just like here. but i guess from france's perspective they're thinking well we held a referendum the people have voted so it's it sticks right like this is the impression it's giving it's like mm. it sticks that you guys have no there is no reason to do another vote because they keep voting to stay <laughs> they keep voting to stay so yeah and this situation remains unsettled as a result of French control over Mahore, which effectively creates an EU border. Don't you just love those? Mm. The living conditions for residents of Ngadija, Wali and Mzwani, the other three islands, continue to be challenging, which has compelled many Comorans from these islands to reach Mahore. Mahore has become an important destination for those seeking asylum as it's essentially part of the EU. I mean, this... We see this in Morocco as well, for instance, where we have these land borders within the continent. I mean, in this case, it's a water border. But yeah, Suta Melilla. A lot of, yeah, Suta Melilla. Um, go back and listen to that. Mm. Couldn't tell you which season. But <laughs> is there some ter- terrible podcast. I can't remember the season. can't remember the episode number. Don't it, even ask me. Don't even ask. But um, yeah. But it, it's also covered in the book. We it is cover. also covered in the book. Exactly. And. The problem is we then, it just sets it up for another, it triggers another crisis. Mm-hmm. And they do this deliberately. This has presented complex challenges for both the islands and the EU. And sadly, over the past two decades, at least 10,000 people have tragically lost their lives, making this perilous journey to Mahore. And despite the risks involved, these migrants believe that Mahore will offer them better prospects and improved opportunities. I don't think people realise like how desperate someone has to be to decide to do this sort of thing. Mm. No, like, you just wouldn't understand. I found, um, when I was researching on this, I found an interesting stats around like um, the number of individuals within Mahore who actually have French nationality. Oh. So it's estimated around, they've got about a population of 350,000. Mm. And half of them do not possess French nationality. So even going... Even getting there doesn't... Doesn't guarantee anything and then putting your life at risk and stuff. But I guess it's when you're in that situation, um, yeah. They feel that it's safer and better prospects for them and their children or, you know, yeah. whatever they decide to, to go on and do or jobs or just... Yeah, it's quite sad because it's just reflective of... People might use it as an opportunity to say, well, this is why we had colonies. But actually... It was France's setting them up for failure, Mm -hmm. to be honest. Beyond the situation with Mahore, the Comoros Islands path to sovereignty has been marred by political turbulence. Since independence, the country has witnessed a staggering 20 coups, including attempted coups. And these events have also had a profound impact on the nation's political climate. So again, more unrest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was the Comoros Islands. It's an, it's an interesting dynamic, right? And I think mm. it goes back to that vote that was first taken in 1961 and how that has sort of then created it's this... It's like a generational... Yeah. It's, yeah, it's... Because those people are probably not really... Or they're, like, they're not really sort of politically active or whatever it is. Mm. But to, to see this kind of go through the generations and just kind of get worse is... is quite a challenge and then also i'm like thinking france what why do you have a need for it not that i'm saying you know the people have voted and stuff and that was it but why did they i guess we answered it with the whole military thing but Mm. why still to this day and is it still the right decision to maintain it like this or yeah all these secret colonies that european countries still have yeah the control remains um 
but yeah so thank you for listening and that was our fourth episode of this season we're going on a mid-season break mid-season break yes yes we are and we will catch you in a couple of weeks time but yeah thank you for listening thank you for listening you can follow us on twitter at it's a continent and you can follow us on instagram at it's a continent pod and you can also visit our website it's a continent.com bye thanks everyone Bye. bye